0: this past new year, these past several weeks, called This New Year. As Christians, there is something about a new year that we should look forward to, because uh, it's not just a matter of living another year like we did last year, but it should be living with intentionality, that this new year, there are things that we as Christians can embrace. And so we talked about, even though there's uncertainty in 2018, for some of you, maybe it's been uncertain so far these 28 days, you've you've met some uncertainty, others has been glorious but how we can face this new year with hope. We talked about having a living hope, that we can have a living hope because a living Savior holds your future. So no matter what you feel about 2018, Jesus has got you, all right? He's got it covered. We can have a living hope because a living Savior does indeed hold your future. We also talked about how this new year I can be holy. There is something about having that living hope that should lead to holy living, that we should live differently because Jesus has given us hope. And so we talked about being holy and how as culture increases in its hostility toward Christianity, the churches increase. Not should not be in returning hostility, but should be in holiness. So they will see what we do and go, wow, that is is something I want to know more about. We'll talk more about that today. And then we also talked last week about i could submit this new year i could submit because you can't fully live for god and live fully for yourself all right you've got to dedicate your life completely submitting to his lordship and also submitting to others yielding your will your way to christ and to those that he has called us to serve. And so we talked about this new year, we could submit. And the purpose of submission is so that God can change us, right? That's got to start here first, so God can change us and then change the things around us by working through us. And that's what we talked about when it came to being submitted. So the reality is, if we made it our goal this year, and we're going to end the series today, if we made it our goal this year to have a living hope and to be holy and to live submitted lives before Christ and others, what might happen if we did that? What might occur around us if we really took seriously doing those things? Because several times in his first letter, Peter, which we've been in First Peter, in case you want to find your way there now in the Bible, we've been in First Peter, several times in his letter to the Christians that he is writing to, he has said, friends, there should be a difference between the way you live your lives and our culture, that there should be something about our attitudes and our actions that create a response within the watching world as we yield ourselves to him, as we live out our faith in the context of our culture. There should be something about us that is different. Let me show you some verses from 1 Peter where he talks about that. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So living in such a way that people would see that and even glorify God. Jesus talked about that as well, didn't he? Let your light so shine before men that may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, for it is God's will, so this is what we are supposed to be doing, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Isn't there a lot of talk about Christianity? A lot of that talk is ignorant talk, isn't it? People who just don't know. We've given them plenty of ammo. There have been a lot of Christians who have been nutty, who have been kind of wacky, but for the most part we should be able to silence their, their criticism because of living holy and righteous lives, honoring God and honoring those whom He has called us to love. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he speaks about relationships. He speaks particularly to wives. And he says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their Wives. So some of you wives, you're praying for your, your, your spouse to come to know Jesus. Keep living the life that is the living word and how you treat them, how you love them, how you respect them, how you pray for them. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And we're going to come back to that one today. That's kind of our anchor text. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, uh, in verse 4, they are surprised, and this is the, the, the culture, they are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living, and because of that, they heap abuse on you. The reality is some of you know what that meant. When it came to following Jesus, you kind of had to say yes to Jesus and no to your past and no to your reckless way of living, and some of your friends criticized you because of that. The point was, there was the difference. Otherwise, there would have been no criticism, right? If you had received Christ and just went back to live in the same way you did before, there wouldn't have been any difference. Therefore, no criticism. His point was, there should be a noticeable difference in you to the point where your friends you used to party with say, what's going on? And they may even give you a hard time. Why? Because there's a marked difference. What Peter's implying is that the way in which we live our lives, live out our faith and culture, should stand out from that of the rest. And and the purpose of that standout way of living is not to draw attention to ourselves. I've seen plenty of Christians who have tried to do that. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. It's about living out in such a way that Jesus gets the attention in the way that you live. In fact, in John chapter 17, verse 16, Jesus reminds us of that as he's praying for us. He's praying for disciples. This is that point when he is perhaps even in the garden of Gethsemane about to face his most critical moments of life on the cross. And he's praying and he's thinking about you. Isn't it great to know that Jesus prays for you? In fact, right now we can have an assurance of this, that Jesus is praying. He is ever making interceding for us. In other words, he's praying before God, before God for you right now. But listen to his prayer. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What's Jesus talking about? We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Even as Jesus came into this world, the incarnation of Christ, he wasn't of this world. His mission, his heart, his mind was on the kingdom of God, the plans of God. And so even though we live here, we live here as aliens and strangers. In fact, that's what Peter said in the opening to his letter. As he talked to his Christians, he was writing to, he called them aliens and strangers, all while we live here, there's something to be different about us and how we live our life. And as the world continues to become more worldly, which it will, and as the world enables our culture to become more and more evil and where sin is encouraged and even celebrated, authentic Christians should stand out more and more as that gap becomes wider between our world and those who live according to biblical truth. There should be a difference. But here's the thing. The way that we stand out should inspire questions, not accusations. The way that we live differently should cause folks to be curious, not critical. The problem is we do feel that criticism, don't we? We do feel the accusations. And we have to ask, what are we doing as the church? How are we representing the body of Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, in how we live within this world? Because the method and the manner that we stand out is very, very, very important. And some Christians have stood out very badly and negatively. But friends, Jesus has called us to stand out in ways that are positive and even curious to the watching world. So from Peter this morning, we're going to be reminded that this new year, I can share Christ. This new year, I can share Christ. Christ. Now, here's the thing. What comes to mind for you when you think about sharing Christ? I, I know what a lot of you think when that comes to your mind. You go, I can't do that. I can't share Christ. That's for, like, you to do. That's for, like, pastors or, or people who are into that kind of thing to do. But that's, that's not certainly for me because the problem is that often we have made evangelism or this idea of talking about Jesus to kind of those who are into that sort of thing. And so we we assume that those who are into that sort of thing have gone to, like, a personal evangelism class where they've learned, like, how to lead somebody to Jesus. And they've learned all of these steps and processes for helping somebody come to know the truth. And you're like, I'm not that person, or others have believed that, you know, we, we have to turn this over to those who have mastered debating all of the tough questions of the Christian faith, like why God would allow evil and suffering, and I can't answer that kind of question, so who am I to talk about Jesus to somebody else? Or others might say that this is relegated off to the professionals, the pastors, the missionaries, the evangelists, the TV evangelists, but not to me. But here's the thing we have to understand, that, and that Peter reminds us of, we are all Obligated as Christians to share Christ. And I know that maybe is not the most popular thing to think about today, but it is critical that we get this. What we've done is we've made the great commandment into the great option, or the great commission into the great option, and we somehow opted ourselves out of it. I have I I've just was curious, even first service, and I didn't ask for a show of hands because I don't want you to, to, be, to feel you know, negative about this, but here's the thing I want you to think about with me. Who, who this past year, 2017 into 2018, who have you talked with about Jesus? Has the conversation ever come up outside of church? If our main mission as believers of Jesus is to share our faith, and if that, by the way, is something that I will stand accountable for someday before Jesus. I mean, we love the fact Jesus died for us. We, we embrace that for ourselves. But I'm going to stand before him someday and give an account of what I've done with him in my life. And, and, and it might be, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Did you dedicate your life? Yes, I'm, I'm here because I dedicated my life to you. Have you told anybody about me? See, friends, that is the part we have to be mindful of. We have the best news ever, but too many as believers are afraid to share it. They don't think they can share Christ. They don't feel equipped, and so they excuse themselves by saying something like, well, I'll just let my quiet witness, I'll let my quiet witness of my life do that. And and I'm all for your life lining up with what you say you believe. Okay, don't get me wrong here, but here's the question. How is that quiet witness working for you? How many people, because of your quiet witness, have asked you the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus? And here's my fear. I, I have a sense that our lives, not, not, I'm not talking directly to us specifically, although this may apply to some in the room. I fear that the, that the lives of Christians outside of church really aren't that much different than those among the culture. And so when they see us, they don't see a marked difference. In fact, if Jesus, if Christ has made a difference in your life, is there a marked difference in the way you live? That should be a question we all wrestle with. We love the difference he made in our life, but has it made a marked difference in the way you live it? So that there's something noticeably different among the culture about how you choose to live. Has Christ's mission taken precedence over your own mission? You see, Peter knows what it means to yield to the purpose and the mission of Christ because he was the one who was called by Jesus. He's also someone who struggled with what it means to stand out or even to stand up for Jesus. You remember the night that Jesus was betrayed? Jesus is being now accused and there's this, 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 this horrifically terrible trial going on and Jesus is in, or Peter is in the courtyard and a little slave girl happens to come by and says, aren't you one of them? Aren't you a... One of those followers of Jesus, and what did Peter do? He denied it. He denied it three different times, three different peoples. He denied that he even knew Jesus. So, how equipped do you think Peter feels after this sort of a failure, right? But we know the story for Peter wasn't over because Jesus didn't give up on Peter, did he? After his resurrection, he, he commissioned Peter once again, he restored him, and then on the day of Pentecost, He was empowered with the Holy Spirit to become a witness, and he was a very different man. And so Peter draws upon his own experience of failure, of living a life of self-preservation rather than honoring Christ as Lord. He takes all of that history, and now by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's been changed. And now he says, church, I know what it's like to feel like you want to watch out for yourself. I know what it's like that when the world is looking at you and asking the big question, are you, a sa- are you a follower of Jesus? I know what it's like to not stand up under that and say, yes, I am. So he understands, but here's the deal. He is not enabling you to take a pass on this. Even as he knew out of his failure, Christ would use him continually into the future of the church. We see him in the book of Acts and, and of course, his own letters. He's a very different Peter than he was in the Gospels as we read about his life. Why? Because God got a hold of him in a very powerful way. And because of that, he became a great witness. In fact, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Open your Bibles there if you would. If you have your smart devices, you can use the YouVersion Bible app. If you have that app on your smart device, you just simply go to the menu, more options. There's a thing called events. And if you click on that, Neighborhood Church ought to be one of the things there. And all of our notes and passages are there for you as well. But hear the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. you got to remember as we pause here that he's writing to an audience of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. And we're not just talking about being teased, okay? We're talking about people who ultimately would lay down their life, Peter being one of those who not too many years after the writing of this letter would die a martyr's death because of his faith and belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is in a time in which Christians were being thrown to lions in the arenas of Rome as entertainment. This is the time when wicked Emperor Nero, as I've already said before, would take Christians, dip them in wax, and put them on poles and light up his gardens with them. This is not just oh, it's uncomfortable to be a Christian. This is the culture to which he is speaking, and he's repay evil with evil, don't repay insult with insult, rather with good. Why? Let's go on. For whoever would love life. And see good days, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, which, by the way, happened to many of them, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Verse 14 here gives us the reason why that we often avoid sharing Christ. And in a word, that reason is intimidation. There's fear. When I have asked most Christians why they don't share their faith, the the root to that answer is they're afraid. They're afraid of what people are gonna think about them, what they're gonna say about them. They're they're afraid that they won't know what to say. You know, I didn't go take the class, so I'm not sure what I would say if somebody was to ask me about the hope that I have in Christ Jesus. Others might fear that it will cost That it will cost a friendship or it will cost you your reputation. And while I understand these are real fears, and I wrestled with these myself, especially as a a young student when I was encouraged and challenged by my youth pastor to, to be a witness, I remember being just afraid. But your fears, although they are real, they're not valid reasons to avoid sharing Christ with others. In fact, let Jesus set a perspective for us on this. He says this in Matthew 10. 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Jesus is pretty serious about what we believe and feel about Him and how we stand up and stand out for Him. So fear is not a, not a reason, it doesn't get us off the hook. All right? Verse 15, gives us the basis for sharing Christ. This is our motivation. Peter says, don't be afraid, don't be frightened, but what? But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Remember, as Christians, our goal is not self-preservation. That's not self-preservation. Our goal, our motivation should be to honor Christ. And part of honoring Christ is having a healthy fear of him. A healthy fear of Christ, a proper respect and reverence and awe of Him as Lord. And revering Christ is fearing Him more than you fear others or what others think about you. It's honoring Him above yourself and above others. And there should be a sense in which that is liberating liberating to know that, you know what, I don't have to be afraid of what people have to say. I should be more fearful of what Jesus has to say and what He thinks. About the way in which I'm honoring him and living my life. Because when I stand before him that day, I'm giving an account to him for the way I've lived for him. I'm not standing before that person who I was afraid to share my faith with. But he is the one to which I'm accountable. And it goes on to say that in your hearts, we're to revere Christ in our hearts as Lord. What does that mean? It's not a reference to our organ that pumps blood. In the Bible, the term heart was often used of the very center of who you were, the place from which your will and your emotion or your passion came from. So it's the will, it's the mind, it's your desires. And the question I had to wrestle with is who is shaping my will? Who is shaping my will? How do I decide what I do? Is it based on the fear of men? Is it based on just my own desires? Or is it based on the Lord? And what he would have me do. In my heart, have I really revered him as Lord? If he's not, then you're not truly making him Lord of your life. Peter knew what it felt like to fail his Lord because of the fear of men. You remember? That's what he, that's what he was afraid of. The fear of men and self preservation were his motivations that night. When he said, I don't know that man, I don't know this man, three times, and his goal was self preservation, he was afraid. He knows what it feels like to face the same fears you do. But here's the thing. He's never going to do that again. You know, he, he was restored by his Lord. He was empowered by the Spirit. And he was never going to let that thing happen again. Instead, he was determined that he would revere Christ as Lord with all of his will, his mind, and his desire. So are you revering him as Lord with your mind? Ask yourself the question, what do I find myself thinking of frequently? Where's my mind wandering? Is he Lord there? Is he Lord over your will? That's determined by the things that you do, and the things that you do leave a trail. And they would say, yes, I'm following him as Lord, or no, I'm not. But in my will, the way that I choose, is he Lord? And in the passion, that's the reason why we do what we do, right? The desires that we have. Is it honoring him with all that I have? Have I set him apart and revered him as Lord? In fact, I love that word, to revere Christ. Or to honor Christ as Lord. It reminds me of a marriage relationship. You know, Tricia and I, before we got married, we dated. And many of you remember what it was like to date your spouse. You were young and carefree and in love and it was wonderful. But you remember that point when you were moving toward marriage. And when you were moving toward marriage, you were moving toward this C word that sometimes people have a hard time with. Called commitment. Dating was pretty easy, you know. Just in case it you didn't work out, you could just kind of break up, right? It was it was a lot easier, so to speak. But once you came to that point of saying, I am gonna commit before God in marriage to you, what begins to take place is now your spouse has been set apart in your heart as the one and only one who receives. That intimate love. You're not dating anymore. You're committed. And what we're doing in our hearts is we're setting apart our spouse. I set apart Trisha as my wife, and nobody else is going to be that role. She is my wife, and my devotion and my love is to her. And we know what that means in a very practical, relational kind of way. But here's my fear. There are a lot of people who profess to be Christians who are simply dating Jesus still. Let me explain. They come on Sunday. They sing songs about him. They high-five him during prayer or whatever. But they're dating Jesus because they go back home from that moment and, and what happens? Their hearts aren't fully devoted to him. They're dating other things. They're dating their own passions or lusts or desires. They're dating their own ambitions. Jesus is not interested in your courtship, friends. He's interested in his lordship over your life. And this is the thing that we have to come to terms with as followers of Jesus. The only way we will be the people who have the hope-filled lives that others see and go, I want that, are the people who really have set apart in their hearts Christ as Lord. And they're committed to him as holy. They're not dating him, but rather They're regarding him as Lord. And this is what he's asking of us. Lordship is the key to godly living. Jesus, in fact, said it this way in Luke 6. I don't have that on the screens for you, but listen to the words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? So it's time that we recognize the seriousness before us of really submitting to the lordship of Christ, setting apart in our hearts Christ as Lord and honoring and revering and fearing him above all things. In so doing, he certainly becomes all of our hope. And that hope is what people will see. We'll get there in a moment. But authentic lordship must be lived out in obedience. Paul kind of got this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to the words. Again, they're not on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you might want to write it down. Second Corinthians 5. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What's it mean to fear the Lord? It means that we have died that we have died, that we might live for him. We're not living for ourselves. And in so doing, then, his love compels us to be a witness, to be a message bearer of the hope of Christ. And that moves us to the next part. Peter says, and this is our our commission, always being prepared, verse 15, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I like this word, always being prepared. That means it's not like I went to a class once and that's good enough. Always being prepared. What does that look like? I think always being prepared, the Greek word actually means ready for immediate action, conditioned for immediate action. Now, here's the thing. Some of you know what this feels like physically. All right? There, there was a time maybe even recently when you were called upon physically to assert yourself to do something, maybe to protect yourself, like jump somewhere or do something. And you recognize that you're not as young as you used to be. You haven't been conditioned for that immediate reaction or response, and therefore you got hurt. Ever happened to anybody? Perhaps it has, where you know you weren't as spry as you used to be. And so when you were called upon to be ready to take immediate action, your body, though your mind agreed, your body didn't, and you weren't ready for that. What this is talking about is you are conditioned for immediate action. So how do we condition ourselves? That means daily. We're in the Word of God. And what a great way to begin this year than being in the word of God every day. And friends, there's so many tools to help you do that. You have no excuse, right? So we're in the word, we're praying, we're saying, God, I yield myself to you today. In fact, that's my everyday prayer. Every day begins with God, you are Lord and I'm not. And I yield myself to you today. May my agenda be submitted to your agenda. And may I live with an awareness of the work of the Holy Spirit around me that I might be ready for whatever this day brings. The problem is, too many of us as Christians react to our day. We're not ready. But by praying and making ourselves always prepared, then we can respond to whatever comes to us that day. And that's all the difference in the world, that we're obedient to the work and leading of the Holy Spirit. He says then to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This statement doesn't let any of us off the hook. This statement compels all of us to be people who have a testimony to share. I want you to notice that it doesn't say to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to explain church doctrine. That's not what Peter says. Some of you, you would be like, I don't know how to talk about the Trinity to somebody. I'm just going to be honest with you and say, I don't know very clearly how to talk to you about the Trinity because it's so mind-boggling for us as finite human beings. He's not saying you have to give a defense to church doctrine like sanctification, justification, or all the other that are out there. He doesn't say you have to be ready to give a defense for the Christian practices, like why you go to church on Sunday and not Saturday. Or why do you do this? Or why do you take communion? Or what about water baptism? He's not saying you have to give a defense for Christian practices. He also says you don't have to be ready to give a defense for all the big questions that are out there, like why a good God would allow evil and suffering. He's not saying you have to be ready to take on the big questions of the Christian apologist. What does he say? You have to be ready to give the reason for what? The hope. The hope that you have That is something that every Christian follower can do. It doesn't matter if you're brand new to Jesus or you are very, very, very mature in the Lord. All of us, should be able to tell somebody the reason we have hope. Why? Because the reason you're a Christian is because you embraced a message of hope. There was something, when you sat there that day and you heard that evangelist or that pastor preach, there was something that was said that caused hope to rise in your heart. And you responded to that message of hope and you embraced Christ as Savior. And so we should be able to look back at that day and go, that was the reason for my hope. And so all of us should easily be able to say, this is why I have a hope in Jesus. And here's what's beautiful about this. Nobody can argue your story, right? Nobody can do that. Your story is your, they want to argue doctrine. They want to argue apologetics. Let their professionals do that, okay? Show them a video to watch or give them a book they can read. But nobody can argue your story of hope because that's your story about what Jesus did. And all you got to do is tell them that story. That should be something that, again, any Christian at any level of maturity should be able to do. This is why I have hope. And in case you need some reasons for hope, Peter gives us a whole bunch. and I'm going to give them to you in rapid fire. Don't try to write these down. okay? But they're in the notes. If you can download those from our website or go to our Bible app and get these. But, Here's some reason, and Peter gives them plenty in his own letter. He says that Jesus came so that we might believe in God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed. That means the incarnation revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God. And so why do we have hope? Because Jesus came so that we might actually believe in the God who loves us and has created us. He also says that Jesus died for our sins that we might live. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That by his wounds you have been healed. How many know that that's been the greatest story you've ever had? Jesus died for your sins. That's good enough hope right there because you have friends, you have family who are wrestling in the brokenness of sin, but Jesus broke the power of that sin through his death, and we found forgiveness. That's a reason for hope. He also said that Jesus rose from the dead, offering us eternal life. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 3. In his great mercy, God's great mercy, he has given us new birth. Into a living hope. Preached about it already weeks ago. Won't go there again. Into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Jesus rose from the dead that we might have new birth, a living hope, and an eternal life. That's a reason to have hope. This is not all there is. That there's a life that God has prepared for us that is eternal, not within the confines of our human existence. And that is a reason we can have hope. Is this life is not the period to our existence. We can also see that Jesus reigns over all powers and authorities. Look at it in 1 Peter chapter three, verse twenty-one. It saves you by the by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. Listen. Jesus rules with his father, and that means he is over everything that could ever come against you. That's why Paul could say in Romans, what shall separate us from the love of God, right? Who could be against us since God is for us? The truth is we have hope because Jesus is the final authority and all other authority is under his control, right? Jesus will return for us. There's another reason for hope. First Peter chapter one. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Do you live with the hope that Jesus could come today? Do you live with that sense of this is, again, the, the excitement of the Christian faith is not just self-preservation, not just somehow making it, but having a hope that sustains us through this life that others might see because Jesus is coming again. And then Jesus makes the way for us to always be with God, First Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Our hearts desire as God's created beings to be restored to our creator, our father, God. And guess what? Jesus did that. That's a reason for hope that we could be restored to the perfection that God has prepared for us and the relationship he desires to have with us. And finally, that Jesus uses all things for our good. Peter talks about it, 1 Peter 1, 7. These have come. These, These would be the sufferings, the persecutions, the trials they faced. These have come. So that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may, be, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Isn't it good to know that your pain is not pointless? Isn't it good to know that though we go through trials, it is for a benefit to us? That God can use all of these things for glory, honor, and praise. In fact, Paul says it this way, right? That he works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Isn't it good to know? That should give us hope, even in the midst of very bleak circumstances, that God is a God of hope. And right now, He's working. Whatever's going on in my life or my body or my finances or my marriage, He's working all this together to refine me for praise, glory, and honor. And that's why I can face uncertainty and trouble and struggle with hope. So He gives lots of reasons. And as Christians... We should be living our lives openly and in such a way that others not only see the hope within us, but it causes them to become curious. In fact, hope within a Christian should be a very curious thing to a watching world. In fact, I I put it this way, a hope-filled life raises curiosity among those living in hopelessness. You have friends, family that are living in hopelessness right now. And they might look at you kind of curious, holding on to your faith. Keep at it, friends. Keep at it because a hope-filled life raises that curiosity among those living in hopelessness. And the question would be then for you and me, am I living my life in such a way full of hope that it actually attracts others? to The reason for my hope. Do they see it in me? And then they would ask the reason for the Purpose of my hope, and I could say why. But it's my life hope filled. Sharing Christ is as simple as sharing your story of hope that you found in Christ. When I talk about evangelism or sharing Christ, here's how you could boil it down to the simplest thing that every one of us should be able to grasp and run with it's just sharing your story of hope, of what Christ has done for you. That's again why I think every one of us can do this this year. You can share Christ with somebody who sees in you a hope they want and they begin to ask you about it and you just share your story of hope. That's all you can do. When they start going into big questions, you're going, I don't know. You come to church on Sunday with me. Maybe we'll explore those together. But right now I'm just telling you, this is my story of hope. This is why I came as a follower of Jesus. When I was preparing this message this week, obviously I was very aware and mindful of a great Christian man, Joseph Novak. Somebody who was not ashamed of Jesus at all. In fact, somebody that you probably have had some kind of conversation with about Jesus. He was somebody that not only by his witness and how he lived among this community in a way that was hope-filled, but he was willing to share that with as many people as he could. And I remember there would be Sundays that I would, I would catch him out in the lobby. He'd be standing and watching the front doors of the lobby. Because he said, I, I had a conversation with somebody about Jesus, and I invited him to church, and I want to I make sure they come today. And that wasn't just like a one-time event where it was like, well, this one friend I invited, it was like regular. He'd be watching for people that he invited. Conversations he had either at the restaurant or just in being around town, he would talk to people about his hope. And because of that, look at the legacy in our community he has left. And I'm mindful of that today, that each one of us should take that same kind of practice in our own life. Who do you know in your family, in your friendships, in your neighborhood? Who do you know that needs to discover the hope of Christ this year? And the secondary question of that then is, how are you living in your life in such a way that you are demonstrating that hope for them? Is there a difference? If Jesus has made a difference in your life, is there a marked difference in the way that you are living your life? This new year, friends, you can share Christ. And you share Christ by living a hope-filled life in full view of those around you. You share Christ by stopping the dating relationship with him and seriously yielding his Lord over your life but friends it's got to start with us living hope-filled lives in full view of all to see that doesn't mean you have to put on the Christian t-shirts I wore them back in the 80s I had them the Lord's Jim his pain your gain I had that one maybe you had some of the same it's not about wearing shirts and cheesy bumper stickers although you know if that works for you great I haven't had very many people stop and ask somebody why the bumper sticker says Jesus is Lord. I mean, I don't think that's happened very often. But I do know this. Your story of hope, it's not cheesy. It's real. And when hopeless people see real hope in you, they're curious. Are you a good demonstration of that hope? Let's pray. Father, Speak to our hearts right now. I pray for a yielding of the Holy Spirit of God within us. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have substituted our relationship with you for simply a courtship. Living a a Christian way, but not really yielding as giving you the position of Lord over our lives. And God, I just pray you would just examine our own hearts right now. So many of us, we want to be messengers of hope, but we have to ask ourselves, is that hope evident in us? Because, Lord, I know that there are followers of yours who, in the way they live, they just seem hopeless. And that just seems to be an absolute mystery to me, how somebody who has followed Christ and found forgiveness can be a hopeless person. But God, so often that's been how we've chosen to respond to the circumstances of life without bringing you into that equation. You are our hope. Facing our life without you in the equation, we will be hopeless. But what our watching world needs are not hopeless Christians, but hope-filled followers of Jesus who when people see the way that we live lives, they are curious. So God, I pray you'd awaken in our hearts an expectancy to be prepared every day by being submitted to your lordship, being in your word, praying. God, I pray you'd stir our hearts to be ready to give a a reason for the hope that we have. Because there are friends that we have, co-workers and family members who need that hope. May they see it in us. And may curiosity rise in their hearts. And may we have that conversation where you will guide us by your spirit to speak our story of hope. Because they can't deny that. So help us, Lord. This year we can share you. We can share you by living our hope-filled lives openly and full of you of all who are watching. Not to draw attention to ourselves, no. But that you, the hope giver, might shine through us. And Father, I pause in this moment. Maybe there are those in this room this morning who you know you don't have have that kind of hope in you right now. Maybe you're the one who's been dating Jesus and you like the idea of Jesus. You maybe even like church, but you know you've not yielded as Lord of your life. He's not become that position over you. And maybe he's speaking to your heart today about it's time to get serious. It's time to revere me as Lord. It's time to set me apart in your heart as Lord. And maybe for you, the biggest thing you can start doing is just saying, God, I recommit myself to Jesus Christ today, fully. If that's where you're at today, just raise a hand and say, Kelly, that's me. Pray with me today. I need to recommit my life. I'm, I'm done dating Jesus. I'm ready for a commitment. Anybody in the room, say, that's me. Thank you. Anybody else? I need to get serious with this. Father, thank you for each person in this room who is wrestling with that question right now. Thank you that you have promised us forgiveness, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And thank you, Lord, that you will help us today and tomorrow by the work of the Spirit within us, if we're obedient to that, to discover what yielding to your Lordship looks like. And how that in so doing, hope infuses our days, it fuses our life, and people begin to take notice. Not of us, no, but of you and the glory that you have revealed through your body, the believers of Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, as we commit ourselves to you afresh today. In Jesus' name. Let's stand this morning.